prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Riley Keough on her new film, Zoa, and her love of all things Harry Potter. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, after a couple weeks of returning champions, of returning filmmakers that we know and love, like Edgar Wright and Steven Soderbergh, we segue into a new guest on the pod, though uh, uh, an actor that has very much been on my radar, at least for a number of years, and in fact has a connection to last week's guest, Steven Soderbergh, um, Riley Keough, who is always delivering unique and daring performances in film after film and TV project after TV project. And yes, Steven Soderbergh and her go back a ways. She appeared in Magic Mike and Logan Lucky and the Girlfriend Experience on television. So he is clearly a key um, influence on her career, and that's not a bad one to have. But also, you know, um, a, a lot of varied works for, for Riley and, and always working with great filmmakers. Um, the, the, the film, It Comes at Night a few years back, American Honey from Andrea Arnold, um, Mad Max Fury Road. I never know what to expect from Riley, and I love that about her. Her new film certainly fits that category. You do not know what you're getting in for with Zola, but here, here's just a little a little taste of it. This was the maybe the most buzzed about film at Sundance a, a year plus ago when I was there, um, and it is based on, in fact, a very infamous Twitter thread, and as I describe it, like, Riley kind of plays this, like, agent of chaos. She's a sex worker who embroils um, Zola, the, the, the main character, into just a wild kind of adventure over a couple days, uh, a bit of a road trip. It takes many unexpected turns, and it is um, brilliantly shot and photographed and, 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 and features a, a host of great performances from top to bottom. And... Um, and that's really all you need or should should need to know going in. I highly recommend Zola. I've seen it a couple times, and it, it definitely um, makes an impact. And Riley's performance is just, like, electric. She jumps off the screen. So really thrilling to get a chance to get to know Riley a bit more. I saw her uh, just a, a few weeks back at the MTV Movie and TV Awards in the flesh in Human. That was weird, but it was good to see her there. <laughs> and now on my on, on the Zoom box on my screen. So, uh, and, and not to mention she's a big Harry Potter geek. And that was her comfort movie she wanted to talk about were the Harry Potter films. So points for that. You got to respect that. Um, other things to mention, lots of stuff going on. Been cranking out a bunch of Game Night episodes, Happy, Sad, Confused Game Night, which is, of course, our spinoff video show we've been doing on the Happy, Sad, Confused Patreon. By the time you listen to this, you'll be able to watch uh, the delightful episode with the fantastic Chris Pratt. You know him, you'll love him, star of The Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. Such a fun uh, uh, adventure with Chris playing a bunch of games and geeking out about Tomorrow War and Jurassic Jurassic World and Guardians and all the, all the fun stuff. So if you want to check that out, go over to the Happy Second Fuse Patreon. And by the way, you can also watch this Riley Keough conversation if you want to over there. Again, it's patreon.com slash happysadconfused. And by the way, one more tease over there. I did. I had to mention it because we just taped it the other day, and it was too fun not to not to tease out. Uh, we did another game night with the one and only Sam Hewen. Yes, Sam is back, alongside some other um, lovely guests from Happy Sad Confused Past. So if you're uh, waiting, itching for another dose of Sam Hewen in your life, look forward to that in the coming days or week. 
Oscar-ish. So it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Trust me. I won't make what make you wait too much longer. Um, other things to mention. Oh, still coming up soon. My conversation with Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson for MTV. That's going to pop up before the movie releases next week. Uh, it's also now been announced. I can say it officially that I'm going to be talking to Henry Cavill for WitcherCon. The Witcher, this phenomenally successful show on Netflix, is entering its second season. And, of course, Henry Cavill is the aforementioned Witcher. And not only is he the star of the show, he lives and breathes the stuff. He loved the game it's based on and the books. It's a big, big IP for Netflix and a phenomenal success. Um, and so much so that they have launched WitcherCon, the first ever WitcherCon. So July 9th, there are a series of panels. They're all free. You can watch them, I believe, on YouTube. But go to WitcherCon.com for all the info. And why am I mentioning this? Well, I got a chance to uh, be invited to to uh, interview Henry Ford. So that conversation with Henry Cavill will be the kind of the main event, the climactic event of WitcherCon, July 9th, coming up very soon. So again, for all the details, just go to WitcherCon.com. All right, that's all the stuff I think I'm going to tease for today. Let's get to the main event. Zola is the film, the much-talked-about film, well worth checking out. Seek it out if you can. And in the meantime, enjoy this chat uh, with... Oh, by the way, if you don't know already, because we don't like, I don't like go out of my way to mention it in the conversation, uh, Riley Q happens to be the granddaughter of Elvis. That's something worth mentioning. It's a fun, it's a fun fact. Luckily, she's established herself enough in her career that it's not necessarily the lead story. But yes, Lisa Marie Presley's her mom. Elvis Presley was her uh, uh, grandfather. Um, so you know, if you didn't know, now you know. Uh, let's get into this conversation with the very talented Riley Keough. Riley Keough, welcome to the Happy Sad Confused podcast. At long last. I'm so happy to be here. Are you in the middle of a, a working, obviously not literally at this moment, but are you terminal listing? That's my best guess. I am terminal listing. I'm Zola pressing and <laughs> terminal listing at the same time. I feel like I'm doing early press for terminal list because I just did Constance on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm talking to uh, the monster that is Chris Pratt in a couple of days. So um, if we wanted, we can just start the press tour early on that one. Sounds good. Um, Chris Pratt might be the most annoyingly um, good human being on the planet. Have you uh, enjoyed your time thus far with him? I really have. He's incredible. He's he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. And it's so inspiring. It's truly. truly. I know. Yeah. Do you want to rattle him? I have, a, I, have a, I have a gift for you if you want to try to like throw him off his game. Okay. So try, So next time you see him, and maybe he's divulged this to you, but I don't think he says this. He's told this to many. Call him Christo or say, have you ever considered going by Christo? Okay. Backstory is apparently when he worked at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company before he hit it big, he um, seriously considered going by Christo and that was on his name tag. And it it amuses me to no end that we almost had Christo as the. I wonder why Christo. I wonder where that came from. I will ask him, but let me know how it goes because I want you to, you know, I want you to have the upper hand. I will. I will do it. Um, so congratulations on Zola. We're going to get into that. We obviously have some time so we can talk about just a, a great many things. But um, first off, again, it's good to talk to you at length today because I've only talked to you in these kind of brief kind of weird circumstances. Most recently, I saw you at the MTV Movie and TV yeah. Awards, um, which was surreal for me. Uh, how was that night for you? 
it was very surreal and very cool. I, you know, there's something very, it's a childhood dream to be on, you know, the MTV Movie Awards, MTV Music Awards, it's you grow up, grow up watching it. So it was, um, it was my first time at the MTV Movie Awards. And so it was definitely a sort of epic um, yeah. moment. Are, how are you generally with those sorts of events? Um, the award show, the big press events, the premieres, is that your wheelhouse or do you feel like it takes a lot to kind of get you into the, into the zone for those kinds of things? I do my best. I think it's, you know, um, MTV, it, it really depends on what it is, you know, like MTV, there's, a, it's, it's fun. It's, it's not, you don't take yourself too seriously. Right. You know, it's not the Oscars. You can't not mess up, you know, it, it, there's not as much pressure. Um, so I think I definitely would be more nervous if it was something that was more serious or, you know, like some, right. a very sort of, uh, you know, when you're in a room of just film critics or, you right. know, those kind of. Those... I, I don't know what you're talking about. The MTV <laughs> movie and TV awards is the most prestigious show. Are there other more prestigious shows? I don't know what you're even talking about right now. I, but... I love it. I, I feel like <laughs> I can be myself at, at MTV. Totally, totally. Um, what about just like general comfort levels? I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan of your work and, and, and all the, the stuff you've popped in mostly in the last decade. And like, so, you know, you seem like an actor that's willing to go for broke. That's not, not shy about sort of like taking big chances. Do you yeah. feel like most yourself or most comfortable on a set or in front of a camera? It seems like you, for whatever reason, when the, the light turns on, you're able to kind of go to places that maybe you're not able to otherwise. Absolutely. I think that that's the sort of um, the the thing you keep going back for is that I feel the most comfortable, the most the, the least limitations and the most free when I'm performing. And, you know, I think that's how you know that that's sort of your thing. Um, I, I of course, there's moments when I'm nervous and, right. you know, um, all of that. I, I, I don't I'm never you know, I get nervous more with uh probably like public speaking that kind of a thing I I when it's me when it's Riley going you know like that <laughs> but with, in terms of acting um I find it so liberating so freeing so fun like you know being a child playing in your backyard like that kind of a feeling right well yeah it's funny you say that because like when I was even like and, and I've wanted to talk to you on the podcast for a bit and just finding the kind of the right film and the right project um, but like when I went back to kind of look at, you know, other conversations you've done, like I can't find much that you've done like long form, like solo chats. Is that something that has taken you kind of a while and even now, hopefully you're not nervous right now, but like, is it feel like it's, it took you a while to kind of, uh, to um, get comfortable with this side of the, of the job? You know, I love like intimate conversation. I love that. I love when the, when you're able to connect and have a real authentic conversation. Um, a lot of the time when you're doing press, you have like three minutes and it's four questions and it's you don't really have a moment to connect. And, you know, I've definitely you kind of end up learning how to do that. And I appreciate all of it. You know, I really appreciate the whole the whole um, the whole thing. And I think that gratitude uh, makes, you know, even the moments of press when you're like, okay, another one and another one and another one. I think if you try and stop and be present and be thankful, you know, yeah. that our, the reason we're doing press is our movie is 
people are excited about it and it's this beautiful piece and the world's going to watch it. And I'm just, you know, I just try and stay grateful. Honestly. Well, and probably a lot of it also, like, it seems like you've probably done so many different film festivals and different kinds of environments like that. And those are kind of its own thing. You can have fun with that. Like, I think I I talked to you and Alexander Skarsgård once in Toronto, you must've done Sundance, like, every year the last 10 years looking at your I have. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> I love it. I love, I love being, I love festivals. I love being amongst people who love film. I love talking about film. I love, um, I feel so at home at Sundance at Toronto at, at, at festivals, you know, it, it's sort of like film nerds. Like I, 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 you know, I could have those conversations all day. You know? Yeah. So I think I've, I've done Sundance, I think like 15 years in a row and right. like I've done Toronto probably 10 years. And yeah, those are my two, like that's it's my happy fun. place. And there's, there's this energy in this, everyone's so excited to be there and, and, and loves film as much as I do. And, you know, so yeah. you're amongst your kind of people. It's totally, totally. So to give me a sense, like going back as a kid, um, you know, your family, obviously a part of pop culture in many different ways, but like, I guess music was probably more significant to your parents than necessarily acting. Were the arts kind of prominent in your, in your childhood? And did, did it take a while for you to kind of fall, fall in love with acting and film versus music? Uh, Give me a sense of sort of your arc there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I grew up around, you know, only musicians. So my father was a bass player. My mother was a singer they hung out with musicians. There were musicians everywhere. There was lots of music in my house. I would go to bed at night listening to, you know, my parents and their friends up uh, on the piano singing and um, going to live shows. And there's definitely a lot of music and I love music. And um, I love, you know, I played a bit of piano when I was younger and, you know, I I definitely have an appreciation for it. Um, I always, always wanted to do film like from you know as early as I can remember I was videoing everybody and on my camera and you know making movies and directing my friends and um you know I'd make like horror films and you know put ketchup on my friends and you know what I mean like just constantly I have hours and hours of home movies that I was making so I think that um as much as I loved music I think film was something that I very early on was um sort of called to do did you did you have any much experience as a kid like were you ever on film sets through any of your family members your grandmother etc like did you have experiences on on sets so i didn't and i wanted to act and um i did you know theater in school i did some theater classes in in, growing up in la they're kind of everywhere um and the first time I was on set was my mother was married to Nicolas Cage and he was directing his first film and we were in New Orleans oh and that was my first time on yeah. the set. And I remember I had this moment of, um, you know, they were shooting the scene in a room next to us very close in very close proximity. And I, you know, couldn't hear what the actors were saying. And I sort of had this aha moment where I was like, oh, in movie acting and in acting, you you can be naturalistic and you can exist in the space. And, and you know, and then I, they gave me headphones and I could hear and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is crazy. They're so close, but I can't hear them. And they're having this intimate conversation. And I kind of realized like, oh, like I had this moment realizing that there's types of acting you can do that are you don't that are, you know, 
natural. You don't have to always be theatrical. Like there's there's different types of acting. There's different styles. There's theater acting and there's you know film acting and there's a combination of the two. And I sort of remember having this moment of like, oh, interesting. Like because I'd only ever seen theater acting right when I was a kid and in schools and in my theater classes and stuff. You know. Well, there's theater acting, there's film acting, and there's Nick Cage acting. That's its own. Like... <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, I'm obsessed with it. Do you have like a different relationship to his work? I mean, obviously I know that wasn't like a very long relationship in your, uh, probably in your life, but like watching a Nick Cage film, is that different for you then for like, than it is for me? Probably, probably. I mean, for me, he was just this wild character that entered into my life that, right. you know, um, was hilarious and captivating. And I just remember every time he was around, it was like, it was just, everything was fun and big. And he's so, uh, He's just such a big person. And yeah. I think, you know, not not dissimilar to the characters he plays. Courageous as an actor, like, again, willing to, like, go to places and just try shit out. And sometimes yeah. it's worked for our audiences. Sometimes it hasn't. But I, I appreciate the effort always. Yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to have that mindset. You know, yeah. I think you can't hold back. And I think you have to really get to that place where you're not limiting yourself and you can just go for it and be willing to fall on your face. And for me, when I've done that. I've, you know, of course there's some pain, you know, cause you're putting your whole heart into it and it's a vulnerable position to be in. But I do find that when you commit and really, you know, don't hold yourself back, your, your work is better. So you talk about sort of kind of that realization that there are different paths to acting, different, different ways of doing it. Did that start to set you on a path of kind of like trying different things out or like early in your career, did you kind of have to figure out how you were going to approach the work? Like, has it changed over the last 15, 20 years in terms of how you yeah, um, yeah. approach what you do? Well, I always, I, I always had this instinct that I could do it. You know, I, I, <clears throat> I felt this thing in me that I felt like I could transform myself. And I, you know, I remember looking at myself in the mirror when I was little or, you know, just these weird looking back on these moments where, if I was like crying and I was upset, I would kind of analyze it and be like, what is this? You know, like I was, you know, like looking at yourself in the mirror crying um, and just, and really, really interested in human emotion, really interested in people, really interested in nuances of people, the way they move their head, the way they move their hands, like little things. I still am, I'm obsessed with it. Like I just, you know, so that was, that was where my love for acting came. I think I was obsessed with people and obsessed with, I still am like I film everything I film everybody I find I'm, I'm in love with like human beings you know and so mm -hmm. I think that's just evolved as I've gotten older and um you know I I yeah it does strike me that like for an actor like in your age bracket and especially for female actors not a lot of them are like you and that like you seem to go after really transformative performances um it's, is it, it, do you res does that resonate when you get a script and you see like, oh, this is an opportunity to really kind of like push myself in a, in a different way? Absolutely. And I really love um, doing things that are challenging. I love completely transforming myself. I, I, the combination of the challenge and then being able to just feel like a different person is the most fun for me. Yeah. You know, I, I love that challenge. I love you know, and making it authentic, not making it silly, not making it, you know, a, car a caricature of somebody, you right. know, and um, so that combination I love, and that's what I loved about Zola is, yeah. I think I like, I always loved characters, 
you know I loved fantasy growing up like that like that was something I like the the you know I I mean I think we're going to talk about this but like fantasy and 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 sci-fi like those were the things that I actually like loved watching people playing these weird bizarre creatures and the way that a human being could totally transform into like a witch or uh you know what I mean like Harry Potter was everything to me like that was like you know if I could have had the career my dream career I would have been in like all the Harry Potters you know like I I love um and theatrical performance and I love um and I also love nuanced performance so I really love trying to combine the two is like ultimate well you're speaking my language i mean like yeah i feel like for instance like gary oldman's dracula is like my favorite performance like ever <laughs> like unbelievable um but yes okay you, you give me the perfect segue because uh in, in the last year especially when we've needed comfort i've been asking folks for comfort movies yeah. and you you kind of cheated a little bit riley because you went with a whole <laughs> franchise but maybe i'll pin you no. down but you went with harry potter um yeah. which no surprise it's a comfort movie series for many many people um Let's just, just first tell me, like, did you encounter Harry Potter through the books first or through the movies? What was, how did you become obsessed? So I was in school when the first book came out and I think I was around the same age as Harry. And so that was of course like this, you know, exciting thing. I got to grow up with Harry Potter and the first film uh, came out and I was in Oregon with my dad on a road trip. And it was in this little theater in this little town in Oregon and it was raining and it was like there were, it was, it felt like we were in at Hogwarts kind of, there were these like, you know, amazing greenery and trees everywhere in this sort of small old town. And I, he took me to see the first film and I just like, I don't know. I, I think it was the right age uh, and I, the right time. And I just was such a fan and I, I read all the books and I, I love, loved the films. And I, you know, I always loved magic. I loved um, the idea of opening up our minds to you know more than the reality we live in and so so let's yeah. talk some favorites a favorite character oh my gosh this is so hard i i <laughs> they won't be offended love, the ones you don't mention it's okay i know i i love serious black of course you know how could you not i love bellatrix <laughs> i love um i love hermione i love oh my gosh um who else i love luna i loved her father i love did you ever dress up as any, any of the harry potter characters for uh i never or... did really I never dressed up i didn't dress up have you been sorted i've been sorted i i was in uh gryffindor once and i was in slytherin once <laughs> and so i think i'm a gemini i've got two sides to me and i can totally see how the hat would get confused with you know <laughs> in slytherin or have you have you been to wizarding world have you seen cursed child oh yeah i've been to wizarding world i haven't seen cursed child i i went to the um to the sets in england which was amazing but also it's funny like as an actor actress you some of the magic's already gone because you know how things are working i was recently watching a movie with my little sisters and they're 12 and they were like, I was like, oh, you know how they do that? And they were like, I don't want to hear it. I don't right. want to know how they do that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I shouldn't be telling you, explaining how they're doing all the VFX and, you know, how, all right. the, um, and I realized like with Harry Potter, I sort of still had this um, sort of, there was still this sort of uh, 
disconnect for me and it felt like because I grew up with it I, I it was kind of one of the only only films that I still had this there was a, yeah. a deacon and and going to the the sets kind of ruined it a little bit for me you know and and I kind of wish I didn't but also it was amazing to see like you know how epic they were and sure how deep the, the um what about the films what's your favorite of the films this is hard I'm always I'm always I kind of go through phases where I'll watch one, two, three, four, go all the way up and then I'll start over and I'll just keep revisiting, you know, all of them. I love the first one just because of the childhood nostalgia. The third one was for a long time, my favorite. Um, well, that's the Corona one, of course. Yep. Of course. And then as I got older, I loved the, um, the Half-Blood Half Blood Prince. Um, that one was really emotional. <laughs> um, I love... God, Prisoner of Azkaban though was was probably that was probably the first one that I was like, whoa, yeah, you know, like this is this is cool. <laughs> it takes, it, well, it, it certainly yes. They, I mean, the, the world building that Chris Columbus was able to do in the first two, I and mean, the casting, like major props for those yeah. two. But yeah. clearly, the third one kind of like elevated the filmmaking, the craft. It's kind of like another level. Totally, totally. Uh, um, I love yeah, no, they, they, they all, and they hold up and they're perennials now, they're classics. Um, have you ever worked with any of the principal actors? Have you crossed paths so, with them? Okay, fun fact. I did in, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm in Devil All the Time. Sorry, I've been up. Oh, Devil All the Time. Okay. In Go, Devil All the Time, um, I worked with the actor that plays Dudley. Oh, is it, um, is that Matthew Lewis? No, is that Matthew no. It's, um, don't put this part in. That's all good. Thingy, cause I, we can't betray you as a poser of Harry I'm, Potter. Um, let me look at Harry. His name's Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so is that a moment? Did you confess your Harry Potter obsession? No, I didn't recognize him at first. I didn't recognize him cause he's much older and he looks very different and I didn't, he's like a very serious actor and he was very much in character. And I right. didn't like, I didn't want to geek out, you know, cause I didn't want to like ruin his, you know, be like, you know, he obviously I'm sure they get that so often, yes. you know? And we're on this very serious film set playing these very serious characters. And I would, but I definitely was having this moment of like, when I realized it was him, I was like, oh my God. I told my husband he was on set and he was like, that's crazy. I totally get starstruck by them. I saw Emma Watson once at an event and I think she came up to me and I think she said hi. And I, I think I just froze. I was going to say, know? it sounds like the way you're recounting this, it sounds like you blacked out. You don't even I think remember. I kind of blacked out and I, I think she kind of knew who I was or something. I don't know. She said hi. Maybe she didn't know who I was, but I was like, huh? <laughs> you know, like I just like couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It is bizarre how well adjusted those, those, I don't know what lottery they hit with those actors, but those key actors, they're all like great human beings too. And amazing to see how they've grown up. Yeah. Um, did, did the, the timing of Fantastic Beasts work for you? Did you ever go up for a role? Did you, were you, did you say to team Keo, get me in there? I actually did audition for Fantastic Beasts. I did. Um, I was shooting the girlfriend experience at the time and I probably didn't prep enough because I, I I remember they called me in and I was shooting uh, Girlfriend Experience and I think I had like a night and had to go fly there the next day and fly back for the audition and then um, I didn't get it obviously but but I you know I wish in hindsight I had more time to prepare because I was kind of like I gotta go do it even though I have no time I need to just do it. 
it's funny that like, you know, you talk about kind of growing up with fantasy and sci-fi and all this kind of escapist stuff again. And I look at the, the resume and I love so much of what you've done, but like when you look at genre stuff, it's yeah. like, I mean, you've done one of very significant note, <laughs> um, yeah. Fury Road, which is the movie that comes up on this podcast more than any other movie because Amazing. as it should, I mean, come on, like stone cold genius. Um, yeah, I did a thing with actually George just a few months ago for the fifth anniversary. We, oh. we, uh, yeah, it was pretty, I mean, as you know, he's just a special, oh, I special him. man. I love him so much. So, so can we dive into that a bit? Because I'm just endlessly fascinated by that whole experience that is so unique in every respect of what he was able to do. Um, just from the audition process, did you know immediately like, oh, this guy's, this guy's at a different, operating at a different frequency than the rest of us, George Miller? I mean, so my very first audition was just with a casting director and you had to choose from four monologues and one was kind of, uh, I can't remember what they were, but they were all epic monologues from, you know, epic films. And it was like network. And, you know, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't like silly stuff. And, and you kind of could choose. And at the time I didn't really understand what they were doing. I didn't know there were five wives. I didn't know any of that, but I, chose the one, you know, there was one that was kind of co- comedic. There was one that was emotional. There was one that was, uh, you know, there was different options and they let you choose. And the one that I chose, I can't remember the monologue, but it was like a very, it was for a male, it was for a man. And I, it was a very sort of like strong uh, male piece, you know? And I was yeah. like, I'm just gonna go for this one because. I just feel like nobody else is. That's kind of was my tactic, you know. <laughs> um, one of them was like Aaron Brockovich, I think, and um, uh, yeah. And so I did the audition, and then I got a call back with the casting director, and then they said they're gonna fly you to Australia to do like this sort of mix and match because there's five characters, and they don't they need to see whatever. Um, so they put you know five girls. They did rounds and rounds of this where like five girls would be kind of going through this acting workshop with um, George's friend Nico. And so we would, you know, they mixed me up with five girls um, and we had this whole week of kind of drama school essentially. And, And the last day George came in and would watch us. And a lot of it was improv. A lot of it was, it was non scripted. It was, you know, giving us scenarios, giving us things to get into arguments about and improvisational stuff yeah and we kind of went home not knowing if any of us would get it you know it wasn't it wasn't like a done deal kind of a thing and then I think about a week later they said okay um you're gonna officially get the offer and you're playing capable and I was like okay I didn't know what that meant at all you know and I was like okay and then enjoy the next year in Namibia this is gonna be great (laughs) I know and then slowly you know I think Zoe was already cast um, and then Rosie was cast after me, I believe. And then lastly was they continued those sort of workshops and then um, uh, uh, Abby and Courtney were the last two. And, you know, he's so thoughtful. It's not, there's no mistake that everything, you know, once we started um, he would just send these long voice notes. Um, If I just send him a message saying, what do you think about this? Something that so quickly could be answered with a short email. He would s- respond about a day later and send me like a 45 minute voice note about th- answering this question and yeah. giving me like, you know, so much information. And 
once we got there, you know, it was very apparent that it was a, a different experience to your general sort of studio film. We landed, we had extensive acting workshops, extensive, you know, working with Eve Ensler, um, movement coach, um, so much, so much uh, prep. And, you know, uh, you'd kind of be like, oh, these like five girls are in the back of the van and the back of the van, the back of the truck. And, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't assume like how much work we'd done on our characters and, right. and on just every single detail that my goggles, my hair color, my outfit, my shoes, my everything like George, there's not one detail inside the rig. There's, you know, if you're in there, which we were for six months, there's every little, there's everything, every detail in, in the truck, George knows about and George put there for a reason, you know, right. there's like a dagger and you're like, what, you know? And then he's like, oh yeah, that's because of this. And so it was an incredible experience also being able to, there was a lot of us that were the same age, you know, all of us girls. And then you had Nick and you had Josh and we were all the same age. We were all living next to each other in this little um, neighborhood. All of our houses were next to each other. So we had this like really incredible once in a lifetime kind of experience yeah. bonding as friends and um, making this epic tale. <laughs> It's amazing because yeah, I, I, by the way, Nick is one of my favorite human beings as well. I've known him forever. And, and, um, but I mean, invariably it comes up with filmmakers too. I mean, your buddy, Steven Soderbergh has like one of my favorite quotes about the film, which is something to the effect of like, I can't understand how like dozens of people didn't die while making it like as a filmmaker. And this is Steven Soderbergh talking. <laughs> totally. I can't either. And my husband was on the stunt team and, and, you know, people got injured, but nothing, nothing crazy. And yeah. It's, it's actually wild for how long we shot for the stunts they were doing for it all being real. Um, I think I saw a green screen once the whole six months, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, it was incredible that nobody died. Yeah. yeah. It's an, it's an inspiring movie to watch just as like a film fan to see like what, totally. what he was able to do. Um, we should get into Zola because I'm such a fan of this one. And before time runs out, um, I got a chance to watch it again. I told you, I think when I saw you at the movie awards, I saw it way back when in Sundance over a year ago, I refreshed recently. It still holds up as this wild, very unique, uniquely told story. Yeah. Um, so this is, for those that don't know, this is maybe the first movie based on a series of tweets. <laughs> um, it is a wild ride. Uh, talk to me about sort of how it's presented to you. Like, were you at all aware of the backstory of this? Uh, like what intrigued you when you heard about it? So I was able to read the Twitter thread in real time in 2015, somebody oh, wow. sent it to me. Yeah. And so I got that sort of viral experience, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Um, I, somebody sent it to me, I was in my apartment, you kind of start the Twitter thread and you just can't stop, which is why it went viral. Her voice is so compelling. She's an incredible writer. She really paints this picture and these characters jump out of the, I would say off the page, but off of the thread. <laughs> and you're just in this wild world. And um, so a few years later, I was actually at Toronto at the, at the festival and my agent said, um, you know, there's this film they're making it about that Twitter thread. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and, you know, A24 is doing it and the, the director really wants you to, to, to read it. And if you respond, you know, meet, meet with her. And I was initially just like, wow, how, how would one adapt a, a Twitter thread <laughs> into a screenplay? So that was, you know, got my attention. And then 
they sent me the script and it was in incredibly you know apparent reading the script that these were people who came from a real theater background that the, they were kind of genius you know not kind of that they, they were genius and so I was and you know and, and Janixa had a writing credit and Jeremy had the writing credit and I'm going well if this is you know the way they're writing I'm surely she's an incredible you know artist so I then went and met with her and she just blew my mind she's so she's a genius and you know the only I've I've been so lucky to work with incredible filmmakers but Janixa is one of definitely my top top five or three or two you know yeah feeling gen geniuses that I've kind of been so lucky to work with and so it was a combination between this like wild script and Janixa and then of course um the character was just nuts and I'm always you know down you're to, down for that yeah no I mean she is she's an agent <laughs> of chaos she is totally. just the friend you do not want to be in the bunker with yeah, she's totally. going to lead you down the wrong path every single time absolutely and somebody said to me in the very beginning like hey isn't this American Honey you've already played this and I was like this is absolutely not American Honey this is a very different you know I think that's why I needed to speak to her like I think this is much more theatrical I think this is bigger I think this is um I had a you know an idea of what it was and luckily that was sort of what Janixa wanted as well we can tell a lot by the opening line of, of a character and I don't know if it was in the script but in the movie it's y'all got jalapeno poppers that says yeah, all you need to know right I know <laughs> I know. Yes, we do. And <laughs> so per like kind of our conversation earlier, I mean, do you ever, do you feel like you're out on a limb, like out on the ledge on this performance? Like, do you feel like you're totally in safe hands or do you feel like this could come across the wrong way? <laughs> Give me a sense of like, once you're you in know, it, it absolutely it. could come across the wrong way in, in anybody else's hands. And that was, that was kind of, you know, once I met her, I was like, I trusted her. I felt safe in her, in her, um, with this film in her hands, I just, I, I had so much trust in her that I was able to not have to think about those things, you know, and just really go for it. And, you know, she really wanted to push it. She wanted on the page, this character is like extremely offensive. And, and, you know, our conversation was just about how far to push that. And Janixa just wanted to push it as far as possible in Janixa fashion, you know, and so I, you know, I just kind of was like, all right, I, I trust you. And, and um, yeah. I, I would imagine in a much different way, but I'm going to compare it in a bizarre way to Mad Max. Like it's one thing to read a script and then it's another thing to like see the finished product. Like I, don't, I can only imagine what it was like to see the first cut or whatever you saw of Mad Max Fury Road because yeah. like you can't see what that's going to be even on the page. <laughs> and in a similar way though, like to this, there's something intangible about what she does with the direction here it has a very dreamlike yeah. beautiful kind of quality do, do do those two experiences like jump out at you at like when you saw these films in particular in, the, in their finished product those two films jump out at me um in that both of them Mad Max and Zola I made some of my closest lifelong friendships um so the experience personally was as fulfilling as the experience artistically yeah um and the first time I saw the Mad Max trailer, I, I cried because we all put so much into it. We put a year of our, more than a year, we, a lot, the film pushed. So we put, right. you know, we, were, we had put two years of our lives into it. And that's similar with Zola and that we put all this time into it. And then the pandemic hit 
and we're all going through these personal things together. Same with Mad Max. We've gone through heartache, you know, um, love, you know, people having kids, like all of these things by the time the movie's coming out. And Zola's the same thing. We've been through heartache, love, grief, all of these things together as friends. And then the movie's sort of coming out. So both of them totally parallel for me in that sense. So, so going back a bit, and I apologize, my podcast is the only consistency is that I go back and forth a lot because my brain just rambles. But um, we, we mentioned Soderbergh. He has to be kind of the pivotal or a pivotal filmmaker in your career. Of course. He, Stephen changed my life. Stephen gave me, um, you know, he gave me a shot. He kind of put me in the girlfriend experience, which, you know, really helped me in my career in a lot of ways get getting a lot of other roles um he gave me my first sort of like big lead in a television series um and he's extremely supportive in so many other ways you know like he came and watched you know I directed a film with my partner and he came to the edit and watched a cut like he's very supportive he's so supportive of uh young filmmakers new filmmakers um just, he's amazing that way, isn't he? He, I, he did the podcast yeah. pretty recently. And if you look at his res, like the resume, it's all the, the most eclectic filmmaking resume, first of all. But then yeah. you see things like, wait, he was like the second unit director on Hunger Games just because? Totally. Like totally. what? So in just, you know, he spent, he spent like four hours, five hours with us while he's cutting something else. You know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, he's just incredibly supportive and loves film so much it's it's in in it's yeah it's i feel very blessed to have crossed paths with steven and kind of had him su- supporting my career so it's a pretty good guardian angel to have <laughs> so um looking ahead uh we mentioned terminal list um you're producing something with your buddy i think dakota right dakota johnson one of my yeah. favorite human beings yes um yes. dakota Dak- and i we've been friends since we were 15 and you know we both started acting the same year I think we went on our auditions our very first auditions I think months apart I think we booked our very first movies like a month apart or something and so it was always like a no-brainer like eventually we're gonna find something together to do and so we're developing this tv show that I'm so excited about you know the older I, I get the more the more I just love working with people I love you know that's what it's all about in the end yeah She's one of my favorite human beings. She, she's like, uh, she's, uh, I don't know, her, her dark, twisted sense of humor. Does she play Would You Rather uh, with you ever? Because I, I, I had her on my yeah, Comedy Central she talk show. She knows everything I've done. Oh, so, Would You Rather? Sorry, I thought you meant Never Have I Ever. Oh, not Never Have I Ever. Would You Rather? Because I, so I played a game of Would You Rather with her and she was like one up to me. I had a bunch of Would You Rather questions and she threw about 10 at me, one of which I've asked every guest on my show since. I'm going to pose it really? to you because okay. it's, I'm, uh, she asked me, would you rather have a mouthful of bees or one bee in your butt? <gasps> oh my gosh, Dakota. One bee in my butt. Are you kidding? Yeah, no, it's that's the right answer. Obvious, I think. Yeah, no, you're, you're correct. You're correct. That is the objective correct answer. Right. Okay, great. And, and then finally, okay, so like what we mentioned, Mad Max, I'm just curious, again, just going back to like childhood and being interested in fantasy and genre and stuff. Again, yeah. I'm kind of surprised you haven't end up in this pop culture that is dominated by superheroes and sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. Like yeah. what's going on? Are you pursuing that stuff? Is there, a, is there one of those properties that really speaks to you today? I absolutely would, would um, do that, would um, 
venture into the the uh, superhero world, I it, for me it's just it's timing. It's it is this what I want to do right now? It's always a kind of spiritual thing. It's something in me that I want to explore. And if the right you know role ended up coming to me, I absolutely would do that. Um, I think you know it's I've I've played a lot of you know I think in the in the beginning of my career. I definitely got sort of put in this like very extreme art house, you know, <laughs> box. And I, and I love art films. Of course. I, I love all films. I love, I love broad comedy. I love, you know, Harry Potter, you know, but I definitely, I think from the exterior world have this sort of art house thing where, you know, people can't, you know, I don't know. I think people assume that I kind of only would ever want to do can films or something you know <laughs> but i i you know I, I definitely don't feel that way we're, we're putting it out into the universe okay she's open to everything because uh yeah. yeah it's it's um i mean i love talking to someone whose work i admire but also someone who who's obviously a just loves what they do and, and is a cinephile themselves so i'm yeah. glad zola gave us an excuse to connect in this way um mm -hmm. congratulations on it congratulations on finally getting to the finish line the pandemic couldn't couldn't put this one down we're finally getting it and um, hopefully we'll talk a bunch more about your zillions of other projects soon. Thank you, Josh. Nice to see you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>